0: This is episode 59 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Jessica Kahn. She is the owner of East Texas Swallowing Diagnostics, a mobile fees company servicing the East Texas area, providing in-depth swallowing assessment and education. She is a visiting clinical instructor at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. Jessica has worked in a variety of settings, including outpatient, acute care, inpatient rehab, skilled nursing, and home health. And I am so excited to have this conversation today with Jessica As a rural SLP herself, and I first met Jessica when she came to me and um, joined my fees business course about setting up a mobile fees company. So I'm so glad that she was able to bring this service to such a rural area. So I love people like this. I love talking to her. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello everybody and welcome back and I don't have much to say today I won't blab for forever but just a few things we have 555 reviews on iTunes that are all five star reviews that just blows me away I'm so glad you guys happen to like what I have to say (laughs) but besides that in addition to that Uh, Dr. Brodsky's episode last week about his uh, systematic review of laryngeal injury had over 18,000 downloads. Usually we have about 15,000 every week. 18,000. So 3,000 more people came out of the woodworks last week to listen to that episode, which is just wild. Which brings me to my next point that we are close to 500,000 downloads for this little old podcast about dysphagia, which (laughs) is just crazy to me. Um, But again, so grateful for, for all of you that are listening, that are spreading the message, that are, you know, I do this just so that I can help you pour into your patients and help them out. So I'm so grateful to all of you for listening. And I do want to read one of our iTunes reviews today because I haven't done that in a while. I keep getting out of a habit of doing things. But uh, this is Called not on dysphagia island anymore written by caitlin i truly can't commend trisa enough for this podcast i've been listening for about a year but i'm always blown away with the diversity of topics as the amazing things i learned from each episode as a newer clinician i am so thankful for the opportunity to not only utilize evidence-based practice but to listen to it in a fresh interesting way it has made my commute that much better and i'm always looking forward to each week's episode Although I love the thought of being on an island, I don't feel alone and stranded on dysphagia island or want to put myself on an island after listening to these. If you haven't become a part of the Medical SLP Solution Group, you need to now keep up the great work, Teresa, and enjoy some wine. Thanks, Caitlin. I would love to. After I record this, I probably will. Um, But yes, thank you so much, Caitlin. I love every word of what you said there. Uh, And also as an update... When is the Medical SLP Solution going to open back up again? Hopefully any day now. Um, our brand new website was supposed to be open, was supposed to be up last week. And as of yesterday, they were still putting some vital tweaks on it. So it's still, I, I was like so excited to come on and say, it's back open again. Come join us. But wah, wah. So here we are. So if you want to get on the waiting list so that you know as soon as we open it, you can go to MedSLPSolution.com. Otherwise, just wait for me to scream from the rooftops when the new website is alive and well. Uh, and I know it's premature. I don't know why this popped in my head, but we will be having a booth at the Asha Convention this year. So come by and see all of us. I'd love to meet all of you guys. And I am doing a talk uh, with Karen Scheffler on Saturday. So um getting ready, preparing for that. So I feel like Ash is so far away, but it's really not. Um, so I hope to meet so many of you guys there, and I hope you really enjoy this episode with Jessica Hi, Jessica. Hey, Teresa.
1: How are you? I'm good. Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for letting me come and and preach for a minute.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to have you talk about this topic because I know, well, I do know, but there's been a lot of people that have emailed me and sent me messages that are not so friendly about when I'm going to talk about the real world of SLPs that live and work in rural areas and they don't have access to any of this stuff that we're talking about. And when am I going to finally get a grip and talk about the real world? So. Here's your break, Jess. We're going to talk about the real world tonight. (laughs) Well, I can definitely paint that picture all day long. Good. All right. Um, So before we get going, why don't you tell everybody
1: who you are? I teach at Stephen F. Austin State University. I'm a visiting clinical instructor there. So I teach in our grad program and our undergrad program. Um, I also am the owner of East Texas Swallowing Diagnostics, which is a mobile fees company for all of East Texas. I work for a home health company, supervising um, assistants here in Texas and some CFYs. Oh, I also am a PRN
0: at the hospital here in town. All the things. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jess. So it sounds like you kind of do everything in your town. Yeah. Um, in rural
1: areas that usually ends up being the case, I only know a handful of therapists that just have one job. I used to be one
0: and I said I would never have that's, more that's than crazy. one job.
1: And now I have
0: four. Yeah. So, All right. So what are we going to talk about? Where are we going to start tonight? Well, I wanted to talk about the rural therapist and how it's
1: just so different than living in a city. I even, I tried to get my certification in swallowing, my board certification in swallowing, and I just don't see a high enough caseload of dysphagia because I have to also do everything else. Um, If I don't, then there is no one else. People drive an hour just to come see me and I'm not that special. So if I turn some away, there's nowhere for them to go. So I wanted to talk about first, just what, what my definition of a rural area is. So I live in Nacogdoches, which we also call Nak a nowhere because it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, Nacogdoches has 33,000 people, which sounds like a lot to me, but apparently is not. Um, the next, the first big, like true city is at least an hour and a half away. And that's Tyler. It has One hundred and four thousand people. Woo! Um, And then Beaumont has one hundred and eighteen thousand. You have to go more than three hours away to get to Dallas or Houston, um, which is where most people go for their specialists. They're not going to go to the little doctor down the street who's been here and treated them since they were a kid. They're going to go somewhere and see someone who does this every single day. So, for my patients to go see their neurologist or If they have cancer and want to go see a specific oncologist, it's a three-hour drive. So for me to talk to those doctors, that's sending them a fax that won't go through because their office is so busy, trying to get on the phone, which isn't going to happen because they're only in their office one day a week. And so it's just, while I know that to an extent these happen in bigger cities, it's just, I don't feel, feel like it's the same level. I don't know. Do you have Do you have faxes that don't go through every day?
0: Oh yeah, but I, I'm not <laughs> sure. I don't know the last time I faxed something either. So.
1: <laughs> well, then there you go. You don't fax. <laughs> okay. All the time, um, the hospital I work at—you cannot receive an electronic fax. You cannot send an electronic fax. So it's the machine and the paper and the dial tone and the whole work. Oh my God,
0: Jess. Okay, that would just <laughs> that would just drive me up the wall. But
1: <laughs> yes, it's very special. Yeah, but because there's there's nobody here, most of the therapists I know have you know like I said multiple jobs and they're having to do multiple things. So um, they're usually the patient advocate. We're advocating for referrals. We're advocating for services. We're advocating for all of these things. We're usually also kind of the case manager. A lot of my patients joke that I'm their primary case manager. Like they want their doctors to call me, even if it's nothing to do with what we're treating, they want me to do it. Yeah. Um, I also have control issues. So there's that. <laughs> uh, and then we're also usually the educator for the families, for um, the physicians a lot of the times, for other therapists, which, you know, that's par for the course. We, we should all be educators, hopefully, but it's just, it's a whole different world. Yeah. Um whenever I, I was really blessed to do my CFY in a hospital because it's rule and there wasn't anyone working there. Um, so I was working in outpatient in acute in inpatient in the specialty hospital and, um, sometimes in the ER, not very often, but I literally did all of it as a CF with my CF supervisor was also one site, but had been working in this hospital by herself for six years, 10 hour days and every weekend. And so she was just pretty much like ready to leave if they didn't hire someone. So because of that, I got a really good, nice rounded experience. I got to see all of the different things. And so that's really served me well now that I'm literally one of the only therapists who will be able to treat this. Um, We have lots of pediatric therapists in the area, home health, ECI, and we have an outpatient clinic at each Hospital that takes, you know, peds and adults. So it starts to get really limited, especially when we talk about insurance and who's going to accept and not accept insurance.
0: Yeah. Were you nervous about, you know, because you said that there was just, you had one supervisor that had just been working at the hospital for forever. Were you nervous that you might not have had good quality mentorship? Like, I would assume that that's probably an issue that you guys face too, is maybe not having supervisors on site or. Yeah, especially when you're talking about the skilled nursing facilities, you almost never have
1: a CF supervisor on site. And so I actually, I am a CF supervisor um, and have been since I've been out long enough for a lot of these rural, rural facilities. And it's just these clinicians there by themselves with the DOR, who's probably not an SLP, who's probably not a therapist yeah. in general, <laughs> they might be you know, an assistant, hopefully, or a lot of times they're a tech. Um, telling them, oh, you need to see this patient more often because we need to meet these minutes. And these CFYs don't realize, no, sweetie, these are right. your therapy decisions, not right. your CORs. So I think that's really important. Whenever they go out and get these jobs, they're so excited. I'm going to get a job at this facility and I can run the show. And they think my supervisor won't be there. I'm not worried about it. And then they get there and there's no support nothing is set up at all. And it's just usually not what they expected. Um, So I have lots of students who will text and call me not because I'm their CF supervisor, but because I'm someone they know will answer. Yeah. (laughs) And will kind of help guide them. And, and they're so nervous because they thought they had it and they knew it in grad school and they get out in the real world and they lose that confidence. They still know it. They didn't forget anything. They just don't realize that they know it and there's no one there to confirm
0: what they know and to keep reassuring them. So what do, you, what do you think is the answer to that, Jess? What what can you recommend to CFs that are coming into a job like that? I really think any therapist in the rural community, whether you're a CF or
1: you've been out for 10 years or 20 years or however many years, you have to know who else is even remotely close to you. If you're in a skilled nursing facility, you need to know who's in the next town and five towns over. Um, because that may be the only one that's five pounds over. You need to know your therapist at the hospital that are doing your modifieds. You need to know the therapist on the vans that are coming in to do your modifieds. If you don't, then you, you you're literally on your dysphagia island all by yourself with nobody, (laughs) nobody there. Um, And that's scary. And you're just going to feel like you're being circled all of the time. Um, So if you if you can make those connections, one, you'll have someone to bounce ideas off of, even if it's just a quick text, you'll have someone to vent to because that's very necessary. Someone who will vent and not judge what you're saying. And then you'll also have someone to help, um, to tag team. And when you feel like you're being ganged up on by the mobile modified van or whatever company it is that you're not able to get services because they want to have five patients or they won't come. Um, that's a really big issue, especially in our area. There's a, a mobile van that comes from Houston, which I already told you was three hours away, and they will not come unless you have five patients. Oh, my gosh. Well, there may not even be five dysphagia patients on the SLP's caseload. Um, so a lot of times they're scrounging who's been on thick and liquids the longest. They could probably use a modified um Or if you know your therapist, you can call your home health therapist that's nearby and say, hey, could you bring, could your patients meet us here in the parking lot and do the study? You can call the other facilities in the towns around you and make it worth their while to come out and to do that study. But when you have people working against you and stopping you from getting these resources, you have to be creative and you have to make it work because you still have to have the study. Being in the middle of nowhere does not give you X-ray vision. You yes. you still have
0: to see and know. <laughs> and so, I I love that you said that, Jess, because I think that's what you know. I I started this podcast because I wanted to help everybody, and I wanted to you know, share information. And, you know, like, like I said, so many times we're all on our own little dysphagia islands, but Mm -hmm. I just, it makes me so sad when people are like, well, you don't understand my situation and you don't know where I am. And it's like, I do. I mean, that's the reason I started my company was because I understood the limitations, but it doesn't give us a license to still not do our jobs. And if you are interested in purchasing a mobile fees unit, if your facility is interested or you are interested yourself, please check out our sponsor. That's EndoHD. NDOHD is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP for conducting fees studies. It's a true high-definition fees imaging system with HD image display and capture, crisp color image, unsurpassed digital clarity, an HD image with better resolution than legacy systems, and you can view details of patient anatomy with double the resolution of standard definition video. NDOHD is a compact fee system with a maneuverable design that provides convenience to do fees in more locations. So please check them out, www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific freeze requirements.
1: Right. It's just you can't waste their Medicare days. You just can't. And I know I don't want to abandon my patients either. And I loved, I just listened to it the other day. I don't know what rock I was living under, but when you talk, we're talking with, um, Pam Smith Mm -hmm. about, um, what you can do with it. And, and I loved her conversation and anyone who feels like, you know, well, she just, we just, we can't have it modified whatsoever. And they need to go listen to that because it was great. And at the same time, I do feel like in the rural area, we have a whole different kind of patient population. When we're talking about a skilled nursing facility, I was, I refer to it as they're not really true skilled patients. They're not coming to your facility just for those days and then going back out in the community outside your facility. Most of the time in these little bitty towns, um, that maybe have a stoplight. <laughs> These are residents who are long-term care residents that are just being reskilled because they fell, or they're reskilled because they had a UTI and went out to the hospital, and now they've come back and their dementia has progressed a little bit. These aren't, you know, a patient who had a stroke, a patient who has a new diagnosis of Parkinson's. These are long-term care residents with lots of cognitive issues. Um, and it is a different patient population and some of those patients, you're going to know that it's likely at least not to be pharyngeal, that it's more oral or more sensory. I loved Ed's last podcast, too, where he was yeah. talking about the sensory. And you need to be working on that while you wait for the modified because, you you know, they're not swallowing anything. So what are they going to swallow in the modified? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so don't send them for that yet. You know, you have a hundred other cognitive goals you could be working on. So keep working on that because if they're not paying attention, what, what are you going to do? You're just going to shove a spoon in their face and hope they swallow it. It's not skilled either. Yeah. And so I, while I fully understand that I don't want to abandon my patient, I need to do something for them. It, it needs to be something skilled. And if you don't know what's going on, it's not skilled. And it's just a waste and someone's going to call you on it someday. Yeah, And I'm sorry, but that's, that's how life works.
0: Yeah. I, I was talking to a friend the other day and I don't, I won't mention her name because I don't know if she wants me to mention, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we were talking about, um, you know, she got called on a court case and she just, she could not even defend the SLP because there was not even, not even a lick, a touch, a, Single discussion that the patient might need an instrumental, right it was just like you know trial some few sips of water, trial a cracker, you know it was nothing that mm-hmm. appeared even remotely skilled, you know, and she said she just filed through like eighty pages, like eighty days' worth of notes, and there was nothing recommending an instrumental, you know and it's like how how can you defend yourself in that case right you know, and in- then whereas she's had other cases too where it's like the therapist said you know modified recommended. However, due to, you know, could be in your situation, can't get a modified today right. because of rural limitations, you know, but at least the SLP is going there and thinking that that is what this patient needs. Right. And then that brings up something else. If
1: if what you're doing is skilled, you should document it. Right. <laughs> I've, right. I've read so many of my, my CFYs that I supervise and I read their notes and, and it'll just be like, you know, patient tolerated, a third of their diet. But then I talk to them about their patient and they're like, yeah, we did effortful swallow 20 times and we did da-da-da-da-da. i am like, "Well, say that. And right, you know, right. You have to.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And so, um, especially in our rural area, I feel like you really have to document that because then whenever you're fighting for these things and they're being refused, well, then you have that documentation and you can say, see, look, I've been doing X and Y and Z, but I, I can't see it, so I can't fix it. They need to know what you can and can't do. And if you're not educating your administrators or um, your patients, if they're an outpatient or home health, if you're not telling them what they need and being honest, then then they don't know. Yeah. That's our job to play. So I feel like, you know, we always talk about skilled nursing facilities, I think, (laughs) because that's kind of where we we feel the most alone. But I really want to talk about outpatient. That's where I worked the most and I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Actually, um, in the rural area, because I get to see people from the cradle to the grave. Like literally, one day I evaluated a a one month old that was breastfeeding, and that afternoon I saw a hundred and one year old. Oh my gosh! So it's like all in the same day, and it's yeah. my favorite thing. But um, when we're talking about these rural areas and outpatient, especially or private practice, they're literally driving to come see me. Usually over an hour. From these little towns because they have to go to the next to the big town which is not a big t- town to come and get services and so that may mean they drive an hour to see me for 30 minutes and then i'm recommending oh i think you need to go do this modified at this hospital in the next town over on a different day than you're coming to see me probably um and so that just adds such a burden to these patients who already can barely afford to drive to you often because we don't have public transportation, not certainly not from town to town. Maybe some of the larger ones will have a bus, but that's it. One bus that you can't find the schedule for. And that is maybe stuck behind a tractor. Somewhere.
0: Some good cognitive
1: therapy for everybody <laughs> to figure out right. the bus schedule. Yes. But if you're not communicating with all the other SLPs, that are doing the modifieds, or if you're not communicating with those patients, you know, what you need, then you're really putting them under a hardship. And it takes a lot more planning for these patients that are in a rural area, especially if you're working on, um, let's say you're working on swallowing and you, they had a stroke, you know, last year and you think, well, maybe they have a paralyzed vocal fold. Well, they need to go see an ENT. Well, you can't just willy nilly be like, oh, just just go see that ENT down the road because they're not down the road. And if they are, well, maybe they're an ENT and all they do is put tubes in all day. Or maybe they literally never look in anyone's throat for whatever (laughs) reason. Well, you're not going to know that they have a paralyzed vocal fold and they're just going to get a report back that says all clear. So if you don't know the resources that are there and what their limitations are, it really just starts to... To pile up and to be a burden on those patients, which is again why I can have control issues. isn't <laughs> so, because I'll just tell them, okay, you're gonna do this at eight o'clock and then you're gonna go over here and we can do this all in one day and we'll save you all the gas. And there you go. That's
0: great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's such a great point. And I know that I even feel that way, like in urban cities, like right. even in big cities, you know, th- there's so many times that I'll have a patient say, oh, well, I saw this ENT and it's like, I know that ENT they, you know, I can guarantee you they didn't even look in your mouth, you know, because right. like you said, they're used to putting tubes in all day. Um, you know, so it, that's such a big thing for I think everybody, no matter where you live is to know who the specialists are, because you don't want to waste people's time, right? You don't want to waste the specialist's time, you don't want to waste the patient's time by sending them on a, you know, wild goose chase. And then they come back to you and say, there's nothing wrong. And we say, no, but clearly is- you have a paralyzed <laughs> vocal fold. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so I can hear the protests now, but if I have to call all these doctors and schedule all this, my productivity is just going to crash. And I, I really, I, I truly say to those people, you really think a facility that won't hire another PRN therapist because they can't find one is going to fire you because of your productivity. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> and someone's yeah. going to email and say, I got fired because of my productivity. And I'm really sorry. Yeah. But in general... <laughs> if, if your facility can't even find PRN help, then you're probably pretty safe. As long as you're not showing up with 20% productivity, which that's a whole another issue, you should be good. You need to just do what your patients need and you can't stress about that. You just, you have to know that you're doing what's right for your patients and that has to be enough. And, and I know, I mean, you have kids or you're a single parent or you, you have all of these responsibilities and, and that's that's hard and difficult and I don't want to belittle that in any way, but you also have a responsibility to these patients. And do you really want to cut any of that?
0: Just do what you you have to do. And I don't know. I'm very cavalier about that though. Like, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I remember um, my boss had said something to me. This was like a long time ago about my productivity one day and I like flew off the handle because I was like, I've literally been on the phone calling every doctor, trying to schedule every MBS. There's no hospitals have any openings. I can't find any specialists. Like, does it look like I'm sitting here eating bonbons all day? No. Like I I am, I'm out advocating. I'm trying to find specialists for my patients. And he was like, okay, you're totally fine. You know, so I I think people appreciate, I think there's a difference between having crappy productivity because you are sitting around eating bonbons all day, or there's having crappy productivity because these things don't specifically count towards your productivity, but they are things that have to be done. Right. And if you're at a rural facility,
1: chances are your DOR is only there for three hours. And then they go to the other facility they're a DOR for. And then they go to the other facility they're a tech for. So they don't know what you're doing. If you don't write it down, I, I tell them, like, if you're worried about your productivity, you write down from 9 to 9.30, saw so miss Jones. From 9.30 to 9.50, talk to Ms. Jones' daughter on the phone without Ms. Jones present because she was in PT. From 9.50 to whatever, and just write it down. Yeah. From 10 to 10.20, spent time writing this list. I mean, yeah. just put it down. Yes. <laughs> and just prove it because they don't know what you're doing. And, and I've literally seen other types of therapists in some facilities just sit there on their phone with their feet on the desk not even a patient in the gym. Like they're just hanging out. I'm like, how do you have time to do this? Yeah. So I know in general as SLPs, like we're, we're doing all of the work we need to do, but just like you have to document your note, you need to document your time. If you're worried about someone holding it against you, that you're doing your job for your patients. Yeah. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah. I love what you said too, about documenting. You have to document what you did that was skilled too. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's such a good point. So many people, write, You know, just did, Exercises, you know, and that could right. be anything from tongue wagging to you know effortful swallows. Right. <laughs> so and you know, and we I
1: talked about the DOR not being on site, and and I've never worked anywhere except for a rural area. So this is my understanding is in larger facilities, there's a physician like that's at the facility, right? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, okay. Yeah. Well that's never the case yeah. <laughs> in the rural area. Um, there's not a physician that's there. There's not um, a dietitian that is there only. There's not a social worker that is there only. Um, there was one set of facilities that I had a, a previous student work at um, when she got out. She's like, I don't think we have a dietitian. Like, we were going back and forth if they even had one. And she found out the dietitian comes at eight o'clock at night and reviews charts and talks to patients after dinner. And I'm like, well, no one, we've never seen them. Right. So, they're not there during the day, right right. <laughs> and most SLPs, you know get there, I not I'm definitely not one of those SLPs, but they get there at like six in the morning, right so they can catch breakfast and catch lunch, right. And so you don't have these people at your disposal easily. and so not only are you trying to, to keep your productivity up during the day, but then you they'll often spend their time off the clock calling other providers, and it's just
0: crazy. Does that give you an excuse just to not try to get in touch with them? No, it doesn't. It's (laughs) like call them during the day when you're getting paid.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so, and I've, I've so many SLPs and you see this all over Facebook too. They'll sacrifice their clock time. They'll clock out and then they'll call family and then they'll, that's still part of your skilled treatment. Now your DOR may not be counting it as your skilled treatment, but that is, that's part of it you need to be getting paid for that time. Yeah. Off, off the block. Um, certainly don't document off the block. We've, I feel like that's been well covered, but we'll just say it a couple more times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Don't document off the block.
0: Do you guys, do you go into this with your students? Just a lot of yes. kind of this bill. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, teach, The Neurogenic Communication Disorders course is what I'm teaching this semester. But I also teach, we have like a mini course here that's just over the medical SLP. So I teach, you know, what the different facilities are, what the rules and regs are for those facilities, problems they may run into it. Um, And then last year, I think it was off of one of your podcasts, I implemented the project where they had to advocate for a piece of equipment And I just got to say no all the time, which was so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) No wonder the administrators do it. Yeah. And so I make them fight for these things. And and I'm a very passionate person, and I think quality of life matters. And I I implement that in everything, even in my undergrad class, like they know, okay, it's the patient's decision, quality of life is most important. And they're just little undergrad babies, like they don't know anything. Yeah. (laughs) But they know that. And so and I I tell my students too. You know if you want to work in a rural area because anecdotally, I think you get paid more in a rural area because they need more therapists there, and there's not a line waiting behind you um at least in Texas, you do so move to Texas, I don't know <laughs> uh, but I tell my students, you know, go get a site at one of these areas so you can go ahead and meet those therapists because they're desperate for help, and if you're gonna come into their area and help them and pour into their patients, they're gonna pour into you um. And I think if you are at a facility and you desperately need help, you need to call a university and have them send you a student. Not to help you with your caseload, because that's not what happens and that's not how that works, but to help you once they graduate. I would say call a university and say, only send me a student who's interested in living in this area (laughs) one day. And then just pour into that student so that they feel, one, that they want to come work at your facility and help you because they love you. And two, that that there's a team there that they can be a part of because that's their biggest fear is they're going to go somewhere and not be supportive, not have anyone to help them or to kind of guide them. So I really think students are fantastic, not just for the knowledge they have, but for what they can give you
0: after they graduate. <laughs> I think that's such a good point, Jess. I know there's two buildings that I go to now and the they, the SLPs that were there were students there before so it's so nice to come back you know i'm like oh my god you were just a student a few years ago and now you're you know the real deal here but you're so right you know and it's because the slps did take so much time to Mm -hmm. as you said pour into them and educate them and you know give them all this this extra knowledge so you know they feel valued to come back and work there Mm -hmm.
1: i just want to talk a little bit more about the patient population in rural areas yeah and I know I was talking with some other therapists who are in pretty rural and other states. And one in particular, she told me, she said, you have to talk about attitude and culture. Because um, I don't know what people talk about like in a big city when they go and do their therapy. But here we talk about black eyed peas and we talk about gardening and we, <laughs> we talk about the cowboys. Um, and if you're not prepared to discuss those things, if you're not prepared for therapy, and then, um, you know, you can't just, You can't look away from the fact that for me, particularly, like we live in the South and this is a generation that had not so great opinions about lots of people. And so, and that's going to be there. And so I don't want to say, you know, you have to have a thick skin about that, but you need to be mentally prepared that, that you're going to hear it and have a response. I, that you're going to get called sweetie. I know a lot of people don't like that. I personally don't mind being called sweetie. I think it's precious, (laughs) but they're. They're not going to want to talk about stopping and eating, not eating their catfish anymore. They're not going to want to talk about not eating fried chicken or chicken fried steak um, or mashed potatoes and gravy. And um, they're certainly not going to want to limit any of their fried foods, much less, you know, manage their reflux, as I'm sure everyone knows. Yeah. (laughs) But. It's just a different world, and I've had therapists who um, even just came from Dallas, and they were working in a little town in this area, and they, they just butt heads with the patients. They butt heads with the staff because everyone that worked there has lived in this town their whole life. Miss Susie is, was everyone's second-grade teacher. You know, Mr. Johnny was the preacher, and, and you just know everybody, and then there's an outsider And it's hard and it's difficult to break through that when you're not from the community. Yeah. And so um, a lot of the therapists that I've been in some who were travel therapists have the hardest time. Um, But even the ones who live just a couple towns over, it's just always really difficult. And so I don't know if that happens anywhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's just a
0: good (laughs) lesson for everyone. I think everyone needs to be mindful of different cultures, you know. Mm -hmm we're special. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> let me, so let me back you up. So you talked about, you did like an advocacy project and, mm-hmm. you know, said no to everybody, but I think that's a topic that comes up a lot because, you know, people say to me, well, you know, it's nice that you're promoting these products or that you have people that come on and talk about these great new technologies, but I live in this rural area and we're never going to get that kind of equipment where we live here. Mm-hmm. What, what do you say to that, Jess? My answer to the maybe therapy materials or equipment
1: is to be creative (laughs) and to be persistent. So you need to demonstrate why you need that. What's going to make it work? Um, You need to grab on to a similar type facility that did get it because someone is going to have it. So whether that means you make a Facebook group for East Texas and you just say, Hey, does anyone use um, Synchrony? Because I really want this in my facility. Can you give me a like a little blurb about how great it's been, so I can help sell it. Or can you have your administrator call my administrator because that might happen. It's a possibility. Um, or your DOR call my DOR. Or can you call them? And if we support each other and give to each other, then it, it's just it's going to make it so much easier because you can't fight a battle on your own. So whether that means it's a whole nother facility within your parent company that's supporting you, or a random facility, or hopefully your DOR supports you. Again, you know, hopefully. But if you need materials you you just have to not give up and i I know it's hard and difficult and and look for grant money. I mean that's a thing it doesn't I know as a just a plain old clinician, we don't think that's a thing, but it is but then, as far as instrumentation and getting the studies done, I mean they're all over your website. there's all kinds of mobile fees that have popped up like crazy recently, I feel like, so make sure you're staying up to date on what is in your area and if nothing is and that mobile van just won't come enough casually mentioned you know I think I heard there's going to be a mobile fees company and I bet they'll come a lot quicker that way um or if you're just that tired of it then then start one do something about it or if you know Susie down the road she would be great at having a, a company then tell her to go start it and just kick her in the butt and make her go do it yeah But you can't just passively sit there and just wait for it to happen because then it's not going to happen or you're not going to know it happened.
0: And and I think I just, you know, I love what you said because I I always get so, I I don't want to say annoyed, but I'm going to say annoyed when people say (laughs) like, you don't understand I live in this rural area, like we can't get things like that. You know, it's like just because you live in a rural area doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Like everyone can get nice things. Like I'm pretty sure you guys still have budgets too. Um, You know, they may be a lot smaller, but, you know, I think I think that's where you say community can be so valuable, because if there are, you know, three facilities under one parent company, if the one parent company can, you know, advocate for the equipment, then that's great. You know, you may not be your own only building getting the equipment, but if you can get some other facilities on board, too, I think that's when it's so valuable to, like you said, know all your neighbors and get to know everybody and. Right. I know a lot of facilities, um,
1: they'll buy just one, um, well, when it was really, when it was just Vital stem, they would buy one unit and they, they would share it yeah. and they'd have to drive it over to the other one, but they got it done. Um, and so amp carried carry It's a little bit cheaper. So usually they have their own now, but the therapists within the facility, if there's more than one therapist, they'll still have to share it. Yeah. Um, and we do that at the hospital, like I'll carry it over to inpatient rehab and then carry it back to outpatient and the other therapist will take it upstairs and and you just you've got to work with with what you have and you have to not be complacent with that is the other issue because let's not pretend that pt gets new equipment at least every other year right the treadmills don't
0: have trouble finding rural texas there so (laughs) yeah yeah
1: they're still there yeah Um, and all the bikes that they put them on and there there are budget issues there but if if you can demonstrate to your facility, look, these patients are going to, you know, happy town down the road, then because they have these resources and we don't, well, they're going to get on board and they're going to get the resources. You just have to, to be aware of how it's really, how it's truly affecting your therapy and your caseload. All right. Yeah. I just think everyone should make friends. That's, that's my main point. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So um you know I talked about how in a rural area we all have to do a little bit of everything so that means that 2 years into my license I had a patient who had a total laryngectomy who drove to see me an hour and a half away who came from a hospital in Houston that did she says at least did not teach her how to clean it did not teach her really what even it was like she didn't have any idea didn't warn her that she wouldn't have a voice. Essentially, she was there for a week afterwards. And, and now she's driving to me for outpatient. I have never even seen a laryngectomy up close. Um, they, no one filled out her form to get her an electrolarynx. Um, I mean, nothing. Like, we, we had nothing. So um, I, I really think we just have to be honest and tell our patients, you know, I have no experience with this. I've never seen this before. I've read about it in books, but I, I don't have any experience. You can either drive to Galveston, which is like four hours away from me, um, and see this therapist there who does have a lot of experience with it, or we can work through this together. And this patient who was driving an hour in the summer in Texas with no air conditioning in her car chose to keep coming to me because I was closest and because my hospital was also gonna give her, um, put her on charity so that she could come. So, but I was honest about that and I told her, I don't have any experience. So, I had to find a mentor, and I had to figure it out. And that meant taking c e u courses that meant late night phone calls, that meant Google searches, that meant all of these things after hours with at the time I had a newborn like you you just have to do it. But had I just said, "Oh, I can't see you well i don't I don't know what would have happened to her. She certainly wasn't able to drive to Galveston had I just said, "Oh." yeah, I've got this and just winged it. Well, that's a waste of her time and a flat out lie. And I don't feel like that's very ethical. Right. And so while I didn't have experience in that, I got experience and I was honest and she knew it. She was fully informed and was prepared to learn it with me. And so, and she was so wonderful. I love her so much. (laughs) um, But we got her, um, we filled out her paperwork to get an electrolarynx and we were working on her understanding what her new swallowing felt like because it was just so different. We bought her a loner one and it was so good. Yeah. And I don't know like what would have happened otherwise. Yeah. So I just feel like, you know, it's easier to say in a, a large metropolitan area, Oh, this isn't my area. So, but you know, Jenny, she does this really well. She's great at it and it's an act, It's five minutes away. Um, but you, you just, if you absolutely have to, then you should say no, but if you feel like you can figure it out and I'm very much, a Oh, let me look that up type person. Yeah. Then you need to, to be honest and try to do that.
0: Yeah. I, I love that so much. Jess. I think I'm, I'm so, um, I can't even think of the word, I guess, encouraged and invigorated by so many SLPs nowadays that are taking that initiative. You know, mm-hmm. I I know that ethically, we have to do the right thing by our patients. So we can't just treat things blindly. But I think there's finally this movement in SLPs, like empowerment, all, almost in saying, I know where I can find a mentor, or I know this person knows this information, and maybe I can seek them out and have them help me. And I think that's right. what this is all about. You know, as you said, it, it stinks to just tell a patient, no, I'm not, you know, qualified to do this. But Right. You know, I think it's so great when you can reach out to a mentor and get some help and figure it on out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with social media,
1: I mean, even take it further than just asking for advice, like ask someone to like, hey, is there anyone willing to just talk me through the next month or so? Like, just give me a month of picking your brain. And I guarantee someone is going to say, yes, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I don't know how much wisdom I have, but I will totally do that have people text me all the time and I've never met them in person. Yeah. So, um, and I'm not that smart. I'm just willing to help and to help figure it out. And if I don't know, I, I will look it up.
0: I, well, I <laughs> think that's it, Jess. You're very resourceful. And I think that's what a lot of people are just trying to get other SLPs to do and to become is to just be empowered and know where you can look things up. Right. Being in the middle of nowhere, it does
1: limit your internet. Like I have satellite internet, yes. so I can't, I can't. <laughs> Get on and watch a live stream, but I can find better internet there you <laughs> and go. I can take care of it then. There you go. Uh, so it, it can limit your resources to find information, but it doesn't stop your resources to find information.
0: There you go. I think that's the that's the kicker. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love this, Jess. I'm so glad you're talking about this. You know, I th- when when you said you wanted to talk about this, it was like just this huge light bulb that went off in my head <laughs> because it's you know. Everyone has their limitations. Like, I mean, there's even limitations in big cities. There's limitations everywhere, but it's like, you can't just be a crappy therapist because of your limitations.
1: Right, Right. a limitation is not an excuse. I mean, there are people who are so physically limited. They literally don't have their leg and they'll run a marathon. Like, there's a way to figure it out, but you have to be willing to to find the way and to, to use the resources you do have and just get there. Just do
0: it. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jess. Is there anything else you want to touch on? The only other thing I was going to say, which I mean, you say in all of your
1: your podcast is I was really blessed in my CFY. I had two different supervisors um, because they had one of them left halfway through. And my first supervisor, she was really big on seeing the patient as, as a whole and voice was like her thing. She loved it. So I learned ways Way too much about voice that I don't really use now, but so much. And so I really learned how to look at the patient, you know, as a whole, and not just their dysphagia, not just their cognitive, but how that all goes together. And then my second Cfy supervisor, the second half of it, she um, used to be a respiratory therapist, and so we would go into the the patient's room, and they'd been NPO for like a week or so because they were intubated and then in ICU, and now they're on just the regular floor. And she'd be like, well, what do you want to eat? And they'd say, you know, chicken strips. And so we'd go to the kitchen and go get chicken strips. And that's the first thing we would try. Now they might completely bomb out of that and we're clearing chicken strip out of their mouth, but they got to try it. And now they're excited to do this. And we always did water and we always tried it first in our modifieds. And and it was just such a good experience. And I feel like now that all of this is coming out, I feel so validated in my very liberal <laughs> approach to um, recommendations because when I do, when I did modifies at the hospital, you know, I always started with water and we always just kept going if there was aspiration and we saw the whole picture. And, and I was just so blessed to have that foundation of seeing the whole picture and and going with the most preferred texture first. Yeah. But I know so many people didn't get that. I know there were people who did a CFY where their supervisor did the minimum hours, didn't answer text messages, didn't answer the phone, never maybe didn't actually fulfill their responsibilities. But even if that was your situation, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so you really don't have an excuse anymore. There's been a whole year of, (laughs) of people giving you the evidence and why you should do these things. And, and so I just, I really feel like that people don't have excuses anymore. And if you even if, you know, if you don't read the research, like it's it's easily what do you how do you say it? Easily digestible. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: and I think, you know, especially being in a rural area, like I think you have to consider all of these pieces and consider the whole patient. Like today mm-hmm. I drove close to four hours away to a facility to see a patient and I got there. And the patient hadn't drank anything in like five or six days. Oh, you were the very first thing. Completely refusing the thickened liquids. So I got there and I was like, buddy, what do you, you know, what have you been drinking? And he was like, I'm not drinking anything. I refuse to drink that thick stuff. And I was like, so you haven't been drinking anything? And he's like, no. So I I said, okay, so what if we find out that your swallow's really bad and you really do need this thick stuff? And he's like, that's too bad. I'm not going to drink it. I'd rather just die. Mm-hmm. And so, in this scenario, I think I was ultra annoyed that I drove four hours all the way out there because it didn't matter what my recommendations were, anyways. Right. You know, so that's what I think about some of these facilities. It's like, what does your patient want in the first place? Mm-hmm. You're being so restrictive that this man has not had a drink in five days. And regardless of what I say, he's not going to listen, anyways. You know, I just think that's such a, a waste of time, energy, resources, and. You know, especially in rural areas, if you don't need the test, you know, what is the test right. going to change anything? I think that's one saying that I really love is "Don't order tests that don't affect." You know, doesn't affect management. So right, and that's
1: what you know. I had a student the other night. We were in class and we were talking about um, cognition, but we were talking about the patient's right to refuse therapy. And so I, I had said that you know, and the student raised her hand and she's so precious and I love her, and um, she said so. They need therapy and you want them to have therapy, but if they say no, you just wouldn't do it. And I was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't do it because they don't want it. What why would right. I force someone to do something they don't want? And, and so, and I was thinking about it today and I plan on asking them, you know, if your does your doctor recommend you take vitamins? And I mean the answer should be yes. Like, now, who takes vitamins? Oh, probably only half of them do. So they're not following a recommendation. Why would we make someone who's 79 and has Feels like they've lived their life just because you don't think right that they're done. If they're, if they want to do what they want to
0: do, just let them. Right. Just let them. Right. Right. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Yeah. Thanks. This, I feel like it was great. This has been so wonderful. I'm so glad we heard from a rural SLP now. So I'm not just this big mean person <laughs> that's not living in the real world. I don't know where I live, but. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think rural SLPs everywhere will love you. So if you're a rural. We're pretty amazing. So, Yeah, I know. Get to know your neighbor, your neighbor rural SLP, five towns over 27 (laughs) hours away. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks again, Jess yeah thanks so much so if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge then please leave a review on itunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming